Uh, good morning, church. It is really great to be with you. Um, like Albert said, my name is Bryce. Uh, I am one of the members of Covenant Life Church, and that's my daughter, Addie. She's waving to me. My wife, Rachel. My um, son, Monty, is in kids' church, and we've got one on the way. Um, so grateful to be able to be here with you today, just around God's word. Like Albert mentioned, we have a, um, just a little bit of background on you know, who I am and, and why I'm here. We have a, um, kind of a preaching team at our church that we've just been developing. Just a number of guys wanted to learn how to handle, handle the word together. And so we've just been getting together once a month um, on Saturdays. We divvied up Ephesians. We assign passages. And once a month, a couple guys um, bring a 20, 30-minute sermon to the group, give each other feedback. Um, there's a lesson from one of the pastors. And then really the goal of that group, the heart of that group, is we just want to be able to serve in meaningful contexts. So we've been preaching in youth groups. We've been preaching at Young Adults Ministry, but another big goal is we just wanted to be able to strengthen our connection with other local churches and um, bring the word and fill needs where they exist. And so um, that was actually um, one, of, one of the big goals of the group. And so um, we are so grateful to be able to come today um, just as friends in the Lord, um, you know, partners in Christ, brothers and sisters, um, and just strengthen, strengthen our connection together. So um, I'm so grateful that I get to come and bring the word today. Um, the passage I was assigned is on marriage. And um, I know that some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. <laughs> and um, I'm a rookie preacher. So um, you know, clearly I was, the, I was the clear choice to <laughs> come and bring this, this um, word today. But I am so grateful um, that the power is in the word of God, isn't it? Um, it is not in the qualifications of the preacher. It is not in the preacher's eloquence. It is in the word. And so that's what we're going to be digging into today. So let me just pray for our time together, and um, then we'll just we'll get started. Well, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and are just, first of all, so grateful that the Turners are safe, Lord Jesus, that you preserved them and you protected them, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to preserve them and protect them, um, not just physically, but that the peace of God would guard that household, that your tender love would be present with the whole family, that they would know your peace, especially as they return to the home, and that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus today and in the coming days as they get settled back in. Father, we pray for Albert as he leads this church and the other leaders of this church. Would you bless them and strengthen them? Would you... Equip their hand for the work, the good work that you're doing here. Thank you for all the members of this church and the ways that they're coming alongside and making it happen. Father, we thank you that your word does not return void. We thank you that it accomplishes its purposes in our lives. 
we thank you that we sit under your word today, that we have the Bible, that it exists, that you have spoken to us in it, that you have not left us alone to our own devices, that you have not left us alone to figure out how to live life well and flourish in the context of marriage. You've given us your playbook. You've given us your way. And Lord, there are so many competing voices in the world today about what it means to be married. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice into this matter. That you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your perspective. That we would sit under the teaching of your word today and that our lives would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at um, Paul's teaching in this book on marriage. Have you ever seen a really good couple swing dancing? Right? Uh, a few years ago, Rachel and I um, were watching some show on TV. I can't remember what it was, but we um, saw like a really compelling swing dancing performance, and we said, oh, man, we should, we should try that. <laughs> so we signed up for swing dancing lessons. We went for, I thought it was a couple weeks, Rachel thinks it was a couple months, but either way, we quit very quickly <laughs> in the process. We realized this is, this is not for us. <laughs> we are not that couple. Um, but there is something really breathtaking about a couple that can dance really well together, isn't there? Like, how do they do it? How does the man know what the woman is capable of? How does, the, how does the woman intuit the intent of the man and so effortlessly respond to the slightest prompts? Like how do they work together in such unity to create such breathtaking and compelling movement? Right? How do they move together in different ways but in complete unison? Um, both are highly skilled dancers, but they don't do the same thing. One is talented in the art of leading, and one is talented in the art of following, or at least they've cultivated those roles. And they've done, and the, the reason that they're so good and breathtaking together is because they combine those differences to create unified movement as a couple. The same thing with marriage. Have you ever met a more mature Christian couple and asked yourself the same questions? Like, how did they do it? How did they work together so effectively? How have they created such harmony in their relationships? How are they so in tune with each other? How does their relationship create so much beauty? How is it that they have capacity in the midst of the hardships and demands of life, how do they still have capacity to overflow with love to others? So our text today 
is Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It's part, of, um, it's part of Paul's bigger point that he's making about the church being distinct from the world um, and unified together. He says that the father of the world is the enemy of God and that people in the world apart from Christ are the sons of disobedience, that their actions are the works of darkness. And that was once true of all of us, wasn't it? But now that we have been redeemed through Christ and brought into his body, the church, we are called to live in ways that distinguish us, that show that we are no longer sons of disobedience, but united as children of God. Therefore, Paul, Paul exhorts the church in Ephesians 5 to look carefully how we walk. And he reminds us that the new self that we have in Christ has been empowered with two tools to ensure that we don't assimilate from the world. The first tool is wisdom. And then the second tool is being filled with the Spirit. Then in the text leading up to uh, our passage today, he kind of double clicks um, into what it actually means to be filled with the Spirit. And just to summarize, he gives, you, he gives us three, um, kind of three ways of being fi- that indicate that we are filled with the Spirit. One is giving thanks. One is singing. And then the other, submitting to one another. Now, when I think <laughs> about being filled with the Spirit, I intuitively have a category for singing and giving thanks. Those kind of register with me, but um, submitting to one another? Right. What, what is it? Why is, that on, why is that on the list? Why, is that, why did that make the list for what Paul says it means to be filled with the Spirit? Well, I think Paul anticipated our question uh, there because for the next chapter and a half, he does another double click on what it looks like to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He talks about wives and husbands. He talks about children and parents. And then he talks about slaves and masters. So today we're going to be looking at the first of those examples, um, which is wives and husbands. And what we'll find is that as both husband and wife submit to Christ's design, the marriage enjoys the blessings of unity. So let's read together. Let's read um, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 together. This is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy 
and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves himself, he who loves his wife, loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This passage, in this passage, Paul lays out his blueprint for unity in marriage. Each spouse is called to very significant self-sacrifice within the relationship. And yet the way they're called into that self-sacrifice looks different. As Tim Keller says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, these exhortations have a distinct shape. They are not identical tasks, and yet each partner is called to sacrifice for each other in far-reaching ways. Now, what's interesting, what was interesting to me when I read this passage and read it in the context of the broader book Leading up to the passage, Paul says that we are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Now, when Paul says submit to each other, he's not um, breaking down hierarchy and authority in Christian relationships. Those still exist. Those, all, all three of his examples involve relationships um, where authority is involved. So he's not, he is not doing away with human authority. Um, but when we are filled with the Spirit, the submission to authority and the exercise of that authority are radically transformed, aren't they? Those under authority willingly submit themselves to authority as to the Lord. They are equals before God with those they submit to. Their submission is not based on inferior worth, but is a functional role they willingly take on out of submission to Christ. And those to whom Christ has given authority use their authority in the same way Christ did. And how did Christ use his authority? Well, we'll take a look later, but he gave himself up, didn't he? He gave himself up for those who had been entrusted to him. The use and purpose of authority, therefore, have been transformed from self-serving to self-sacrificing. With Christ as their model, those in authority submit themselves to using their authority for the spiritual benefit of those that have been entrusted to them. So with this framework in mind, let's first look at um, Paul's exhortation to wives um, in the first half of this passage. Um, I'll just read it again to orient us. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
So there were two features of this submission that stood out to me as I studied this passage. First is the choice of submission. And then second is the act of submission. First, let's look at the choice. It is a voluntary and exclusive choice to her own husband. Paul is not telling husbands to subordinate their wives to themselves. He addresses wives directly with an exhortation to voluntarily assume this role within their marriage. Paul is not saying that wives are less than their husbands in some way. If you look back in Ephesians 4.24, what does that say? That Christ has given us a new self, which is created, how is the new self created? It's after the likeness of God, right? Wives are created after the likeness of God. Both husbands and wives stand equal before our maker. So Paul's exhortation to wives is based on equality in worth, and it's based on God's blueprint for unity. This is how Christ and the church are unified together. The church submits to the sacrificial love of Christ, and he intends for marriages to operate in the same way. Paul's call for a wife to voluntarily submit herself to her husband's leadership is a call to faith in these things. That's why a husband cannot require submission any more than you can require someone to have faith in Christ. It's an act of faith in the Lord Jesus and his design for marriage. Now, especially in our current time and place, um, these tenets can be hard to believe, can't they? They are there are significantly less cultural underpinnings that make submission in our culture normal or even palatable. And, you know, that's, that's understandably, that's understandable. Um, submission for many sounds synonymous with oppression, which can leave women vulnerable and stifled. And there are all sorts of broken circumstances in marriages, abuse, infidelity, coercion to sin, um, that has given birth to a lot of those objections. There are certainly, certainly situations in which submission and reverence for Christ are not compatible. And you may need to uh, withdraw submission because it would not foster the kind of unity that would honor the Lord. But God has designed marriage to be a system in which unity is built through submission to self-sacrificing love. Where both or one of these is missing in the marriage, there is trouble. But where both exist, there is unity. Just kind of going back to our analogy of a couple dancing together. 
No one looks at that dancing couple and thinks that woman is oppressed because she is following in this dance. Now, she shines as she, as she follows, doesn't she? Well, that's God's heart for marriage. And he's enabled that, he's enabled that to happen through the blueprints he's given us. So men, if you are married and your wife has chosen voluntary, joyful submission in your marriage, you have been entrusted with a precious, precious gift. She is ultimately not submitting to you, but as to the Lord in faith that this is God's design for the unity of her marriage. She is being a guardian of unity in your relationship. As husbands, we must steward this gift with the utmost reverence and in the fear of God. So I just encourage you to take time, take time today to thank her for all the ways that she is fostering unity in your marriage and just commend her for her remarkable faith that she would believe the Lord and um, bless, bless the marriage in that way. So first, the choice of submission. Second, the act of submission. Submission in marriage is active and integrated. So that the woman dancing with the man does not just do what the man says. She doesn't copy the man. She's not following some script. No, she responds in unison. She responds according to her capabilities and her style. When Paul says that a wife submits to her husband like a body submits to the head, he is describing this sort of aligned, integrated movement. So the body is not passive. It doesn't just go along with. It's effectively responsive. So if you've been part of more than one healthy church, um, you've probably noticed that they might be equally submitted to Christ, but they might look very different in how they act. So Rachel and I have moved around a good bit. We've been part of a few churches in the past 10 years, and they all looked very, very different. But that's a good thing. It means that the church has taken the call to submit to Christ seriously. And then they've also looked at the composition of their own congregation, their own body, their own context, and they have thought through, what does it look like for us to respond to the Lord faithfully in our context, in our composition, based on our giftings? What does it look like? That's why healthy churches can look so different and still be so faithful to the Lord. And it's the same with marriage. Um, it also um, is involved in providing essential input. A lot of the decisions I make for my own body are a result of the input I've received from my own body, right? I eat because I'm hungry, I sleep because I'm tired, I work out because my body tells me it's good to exercise. You know, we make decisions on how to care for our bodies in large part based on the feedback we get from our own bodies. And this brings us to the role of husbands. 
Now, husbands are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Now, before I really studied this passage in depth, I had already kind of, I'd already mentally registered that I'm supposed to love my wife and give myself up for her. So I worked hard to provide, you know, take care of the kids, serve around the house. And you know, Paul certainly means no less than these things. Um, Christ did physically give himself up for the church. And husbands should physically give themselves up for their wives. However, I think Paul means much more than that. He means more than provision and service. Christ gave himself up physically for the church so that the church would become holy. So let's take a moment to remember together what Jesus has done for us. Because it's the basis of Paul's exhortation to husbands. So God is holy. That means he is perfectly righteous and just. But this is not the case with us, is it? Because you and I are a mixed bag. Um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, in his account of his imprisonment in a Soviet gulag, famously wrote, the lines of good and evil cut through the heart of every human being. The world is full of atrocities and injustices. God is perfectly just and promises that no wrongdoing will escape his judgment. Psalm 95 verse 13 says that he will judge the world in righteousness. Now it is very reassuring that the Stalins of the world will not ultimately get away with it, right? They will face the justice and judgment of God. But as Solzhenitsyn observed, evil is not just those people over there. Evil exists inside me, inside each of us. I stand before God guilty of wrongdoing. If God judges evil, I would be caught up in that judgment because the lines of good and evil run through my heart too. Apart from Christ, we stand exposed to the judgment of God. But in love, Christ came for us. He took on human form. He became our representative and our mediator with God. He, stood, he took on himself the judgment that we deserved. Through Christ, we are removed from our exposure to God's judgment and instead receive his mercy and forgiveness. We are declared righteous because before God because Christ took our place. And when we turn to him in faith, we receive his standing before the Father. Now, if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're so glad you're here. I mean, invite you just today. Come to him in faith. He welcomes you. Come talk to me. Come talk to Albert or the person who brought you today. 
We'd love, love, love to pray with you. But Jesus didn't come to remove our exposure to judgment only. He came to make us like himself, to make us holy. He is deeply invested in our growth, in our sanctification. And he works with us in that growth. So what does this example mean for husbands? It means that we give ourselves up for our wives. Not just for material and practical needs. Based on the example of Christ, the goal of a husband's devotion is for the spiritual flourishing of his wife. Now this is the piece I hadn't quite tuned into. Husbands, God is calling us to be the spiritual thermostat of our marriages. This doesn't mean that you have the most Bible knowledge. This doesn't mean that you say the most eloquent prayers. It doesn't mean that you're the wisest or smartest person in the relationship. But it probably does mean that you regularly say the word, let's. Hey, love, let's pray together this morning. Hey, love, I noticed you're really good at discipling younger believers. Let's start a Bible study together. Hey, love, let's get together with that older couple in the church. Hey, let's join the small group and make sure we're not isolated, right? Now, your wife might be significantly more competent at you in any of these settings, and that is okay. The Proverbs 31 woman was a very, very competent person. <laughs> Our role as husbands is not to be the most capable person in the relationship. Our role as husbands is to ensure that the trajectory of the marriage is on the path towards growth and godliness. It also probably means that you are listening to how the Lord is leading you through your wife. I was talking to a friend the other day and he was sharing about how a few years ago they made a major change in their life. Um, this change was not on his radar. It wasn't something that he was um, anticipating, expecting, or leaning into at all. But it was something that the Lord had put on his wife's heart. And she brought it up and he tuned into it. He listened to what the Lord was doing in his wife's heart. He was open to the, the prospect that this was God's way of getting his attention and leading him. And ultimately, they made the decision to make the change, and it produced a lot of really good spiritual fruit in their life and ministry and marriage. So was my friend a bad leader? for not being the one to come up with this idea for a change in their life? Not at all. He realized that the Lord was moving in his wife's heart and he was open to the possibility that that was the way of God getting his attention. So ultimately, whether we are initiating, we're listening, we're waiting. Because waiting is another key element of leading. Because the goal of the blueprint God has given us is for unity. And if we are not unified in the decision, when possible, we wait and we pray. 
and we see what God does, and we see what unity he brings about. So whether you are listening, initiating, or waiting for the Lord to bring about unity, our goal as husbands is to lay down our preferences, our conveniences, and our comforts for the spiritual good of our wives so that she might enjoy the joy of becoming more like Christ. Now, as we've looked at God's blueprint for marriage, I am very aware that all of us approach this passage from different places and with very different life experiences. Maybe you're married and you know your marriage isn't where you want it to be. But you and your spouse are aligned and working towards growth into the fullness of God's design. Now, if that's you, praise God. Keep it up. Keep pressing in. Keep putting on the new self. Keep denying self-centeredness. Keep forgiving each other. Keep loving each other. Don't isolate. Involve older, mature believers in your life who can help, who can help you grow. For me and Rachel, we experience the most change in our marriage in the context of friendship. Um, even just a few months ago, I was just way overworking. I was regularly missing bedtimes. I was regularly missing dinner times. And Rachel could absorb it for a while. Um, but with two young kids, it just became too much. And this went on for a while. And it wasn't until we went over for dinner at an older couple's house and we started talking about it that I realized I needed to make a change. And maybe you're one of those older couples. Maybe you've been through the ringer of life and marriage and you've come out of it with a lot of wisdom. Maybe God's calling you to be that older couple to make yourself available to some of the younger couples in the church, to help them along on their journey and avoid some of the pitfalls that you know, wait for us at every new season. Perhaps you're single and you don't feel like God's design for marriage is super relevant to your life right now. But regardless of whether or not you get married or not, being reminded of God's blueprint for marriage can help you be an encouragement to the couples in this church. If you see a brother or sister in Christ really contributing to the unity in their marriage, encourage them. If you see a couple struggling, pray for them. Or maybe you're here today and your marriage is in a tough spot. Perhaps you're a wife trying to do the right thing, but your husband isn't leading with sacrificial love. Or perhaps you're a husband trying to lay your life down for your wife, but she's not interested in being led towards holiness. Maybe you feel like throwing in the towel. I want to encourage you that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Go deep with him for the strength you need to persevere in faithfulness. Who knows? Maybe he will use your witness to your spouse to produce a testimony of grace in their life.
But even if he doesn't, know this. Our Lord Jesus loves you. He sees you. Your faithfulness is very, very precious in his sight. He himself is our faithful father. And he gives the strength we need to follow him in the mystery of marriage. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Whatever truth was shared today that is birthed out of your word, I pray that it would stick and resonate in our hearts and that you would give us hearts to receive and respond. And anything that was not as precise or on point as it should have been, I pray that it would drop off, just roll off our backs. But Lord, that we would take your word and be eager to apply it to our hearts. I thank you that you've given us a blueprint for unity in marriage. And I thank you that you have not left us isolated in our marriages to figure it out, but that you have given us each other. You've given us the church. You have given us more mature believers in Christ. You've given us your word. You have given us all the means of grace that we need to work out our marriages so that we grow in unity together. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You're welcome. <laughs>
And, um, and so oppression is a real issue um, in, in a passage that deals with hierarchy between people. And these, as Bryce rightly said, they're systems. God has, everything he does in nature and the world has organization, has systems. There's, um, there's functional differences in every cell and um, there wouldn't be life if everybody had, the, in, in, in nature or in our world, if everyone had the same assignments and if there were no hierarchies. And our, our world is moving to a place where we see hierarchy as inherently evil. Like in, in this country, both because of sin, but also because of real oppression that happens in hierarchies because man's sin has given hierarchy a terrible name, so to speak. Um, every system, whether it's governmental or family um, or corporate, has systems of hierarchy in order to exist. And in, in so much of America, we're seeing hierarchical systems, vertical systems, as indicted because they're hierarchical systems, like um, inherently evil. And that, that is a, that's a terrible danger because life can't exist without hierarchy and systems. But it's also a terrible danger because everyone in a vertical position in those systems of hierarchy is capable of oppression, if capable of oppressing those that they're called to use their authority to serve. And this passage gets right to the heart of that in the most intimate and painful way, because many of you, in, some of you in this room, um, have been the victims of massively um, selfish oppression in the system of marriage, where uh, in particular husbands have used God-given authority and prostituted it and blasphemed it by using it to oppress. And, um, and in some ways, that happens in every marriage. There's sin in every marriage, and every sin expresses itself in some level of hurting one to the other. But it's particularly disgusting to God when the authority he gives to someone, whether it's a husband or a parent or a pastor, um, is used to prostitute the truth about God and to make the image of God that's supposed to be beautiful and servant a whore almost to their oppression. And so that's a reality. And, um, and so husbands, you know, we really have to, I really have to work harder um, at recognizing that every aspect of my um, mantle to lead my wife in any authoritative way is only legitimate when it's done to serve her and to lay down my life for her. And it's illegitimate in its tone and substance when I'm using it to serve myself. And that's really, really hard because I do sin against my wife. Um, but that doesn't mean that God's intention for marriage is evil. It means that people are. And we have to be careful to not throw the baby of God's gospel image in marriage out with the bathwater of our sin in particular, sin of men. Um, there's so much more that could be said, and that's why um, it's good that it's 11.36, and I should stop 
trying to re-preach this message, but um, there's a lot more to be said, and Lord willing, if we're able to come back to this later this spring, uh, we'll be able to talk more extensively about it. And actually, it's completely related to our issues that we're going to be talking about with human sexuality in the next coming weeks as we continue to look at that. Um, Bryce, thank you so much for being here, and for also, Rachel, for countenancing me not saying your name right, because I called you Howard, and your last name is Hoover, so I'm sorry about that. Um, let me pray for us again and let you go. Lord, may you bless your people. May you make your face shine upon them and cause them to be blessed. Cause them, Lord, to see you that the world may know that you sent Jesus, Lord, that your glory might be enjoyed by us and rejoiced in by us. And I pray, God, that uh, you would give us joy in you today. And I pray particularly for those who are processing this message from a place of pain um, and from a place of uh, confusion, that you would please, Holy Spirit, help. Um, and I pray you would wash our marriages, including my own, and nurture them and help them, Lord God. Please help us, Lord, with this um, beautiful gift that we have in so many ways um, distorted. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.